Okay, good evening. Uh, welcome uh, to Kingfisher's Live at Five on Sunday the 9th of May. And my name is Richard. I'm one of the leaders at Kingfisher Church. This is an opportunity for us on this Sunday evening just to have um, a, a quick look, 30 minutes at one bit of the Bible. We are in Proverbs uh, this evening. Uh, we've been looking at Proverbs kind of on and off for some time. We're picking it back up uh, now. Um, so let me let me pray for us um, and then we'll we'll kind of begin to explore this bit of the Bible um, together. I mean, in our Sunday mornings, we've been uh, thinking about Jesus's return, how Jesus said you must be ready for the Son of Man to return. He's going to come back. We don't know when, but we must be ready. And this morning we were thinking about how being ready um, is is an active thing and um, how our discipleship demands growth. Um, we are to be growing as we wait for the return of the Lord Jesus. And so as we look, come to God's word this evening, let's seek for him uh, to use his word to help us to keep growing as we wait for Jesus's return. Now, let me pray for us then. Oh, Lord Jesus, as you sit now enthroned in heaven, um, we are waiting for your return. And we don't know when it will be, but we want to be ready. And so we ask that as we look at your word this evening, that you will use your word to search us, to help us, to move us, to grow us, that we might be growing as we wait for your return. May we be ready by growing as disciples together. So we seek your help. We look to you. Please, would you help us now? Amen. Okay, uh, the story of the prodigal son, um, quite familiar for us. Imagine that the story of the prodigal son included mobile phones um so the younger son as we know he takes his inheritance he puts his family behind him puts his father behind him uh, and he goes off to make a life for himself and when he's gone the father sends him text messages what would they say what would they say son gets a message come home son another message i love you son Another message. I'm here for you, my son. The father in that story yearns for his son to come home, doesn't he? And that father's heart in the story is the is the whole atmosphere of the book of Proverbs. Now, the book of Proverbs is a father appealing to his son. Now you see it in Proverbs chapters one to nine, where this father is yearning for his son. Proverbs chapter four begins with the father saying, listen, my sons. And his longing for his son is this. He says, get wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, though it cost you all you have. Get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Get wisdom. And what is this wisdom? Well, Proverbs 9 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what does that mean in practice? Well, as we have looked at many times, Proverbs chapter 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil that's wisdom 
Wisdom is the life submitted to the Lord. It's the life of faith, the life of trusting the Lord completely. And, and the father's heart in the book of Proverbs is that his son grasps hold of it, that his son lives in the fear of the Lord, that his son loves God as God and trusts his all to him. And this father knows he knows that if his son pursues wisdom, he will find her. If he pursues wisdom, he will find that his life gets caught up into this embrace of one who will hold him, of one who will lift him, of one who will grace him, of one who will sustain him, of one who will keep his life forever and ever and ever. And that wisdom, this wisdom in the book of Proverbs, she prefigures our Lord Jesus Christ. As we come to the book of Proverbs, as we read it and as we encounter this father's longing for his son to get wisdom, we are to hear our heavenly father calling us to Christ. Our heavenly father saying to us, get Christ. That's the whole message of the scriptures, isn't it? The message of the scriptures is a message to those who are lost in their sins, to those wandering in the darkness. It's a message that declares life has come and light has shone. Christ is what you need, is all you need. Get Christ. Come to Christ. God himself is ready to gather you into his arms. God himself is sending you those messages saying, come home, my son. I love you, my daughter. I'm here for you my child. Proverbs digs us into that. So what is it? What is it that holds us back from pressing into the embrace of God in Christ? What holds us back? That's our everyday question. Now this is the matter with which we must be dealing with. Now each day God, God's love for us in Christ is not changed. Each day God's grace is lavished upon us. Each day his mercies are fresh for us. And each day we must ask, what holds me back from rushing into his arms? What holds me back? The answer won't be easy. And many of the times the question itself won't make sense. And we must refuse to be shallow about these things. It's too important. And so, so with this, with all of this, with this agenda of the book of Proverbs, we come to our passage this evening in Proverbs chapter 26. Uh, in Proverbs, we are in a section from chapter 25 through to 29 called the Hezekiah Collection. Uh, in the days of King Hezekiah, the, the wisdom of Solomon was kind of doing the rounds and a group of men under Hezekiah worked to collect together that wisdom. And then they added that collection onto the collections that Solomon himself had put together. But that's why we're in the Hezekiah collection. And we're in Proverbs chapter 26, and we're going to start reading at verse 13. Now, please do follow along with me in your Bibles. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 13 says, A sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. 
like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears, is someone who rushes into a quarrel not their own. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbour and says, I was only joking. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Like a coating of silver dross on earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. Enemies disguise themselves with their speech, with their lips, but in their hearts they harbour deceit. Though their speech is charming, do not believe them, for seven abominations fill their hearts. Their malice may be concealed by deception, but their wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. What is it that holds us back from pressing into the embrace of God in Christ? This passage this evening sets before us two characters. I'm going to call them the sluggard and the gossip. And these characters are kind of put before us as a mirror in which we are to examine ourselves. They are a warning. They give uh, two ways, two ways that we might hold back from pressing into the embrace of God in Christ. Uh, let me just kind of put it up front how we're going to deal with this. Um, Proverbs chapter three, verse seven, a key verse in Proverbs says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And if we're going to put faith into practice and live in the fear of the Lord, and press into the embrace of God in Christ. Two things are to be avoided, says Proverbs 3, 7. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Shun evil. Uh, we're going to see that our passage warns us against a particular way that we might be wise in our own eyes. And a particular way that we might harbour evil. So let's have a look. First of all, verses 13 to 16, we have the sluggard. What's he like? We've met the sluggard before in Proverbs but the compilers of the Hezekiah collection think it's worthwhile bringing our attention to him again. What is the sluggard like? Well, we see that the sluggard avoids what is needful, avoids doing what is needful. How so? Well, let's see verse 13. Verse 13, when there's work to do, the sluggard makes excuses, terrible excuses. There's a lion, he says. He says, if I go to work, I'm going to put myself in danger. The sluggard says, it's a great shame. It's such a shame that the work won't be done. But these circumstances can't be helped. The sluggard avoids what is needful with poor excuses. Verse 14, he sticks to his bed. There's a, a comfort that holds him in the place of rest a long time after rest has been achieved. The sluggard avoids what is needful because he prefers comfort. And then verse 15. I love this image in verse 15 of this hungry man who has what he needs right in front of him. And he gets as far as burying his hand in the dish. But he can't be bothered to lift it back to his mouth and be fed. It's too lazy for it. What goes through his mind as he does that? Or somehow he reasons with himself that it is preferable to be unfed than to exert himself to put the food into his mouth. 
And the sluggard avoids what is needful because he's missed how needful it is. What is it, though, that drives his behaviour? It's important we ask this. If we're going to hold the sluggard before us as a mirror, we need to look deeply into him. And so see verse 16. A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. Seven people who answer discreetly. That that is a a complete perspective on reality. The sluggard thinks he knows better than that. The sluggard avoids what is needful because he thinks he knows best. It's pride and it's deadly. And the verse before our passage, verse 12, says, Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Now, the sluggard's approach to life is against life. And Proverbs 3, verse 7, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. But the sluggard does not trust the Lord with all his heart. He relies on his own understanding and plots his own course. And see, being wise in your own eyes, relying on your own understanding will hold us back from the embrace of God in Christ. So what then about us? What what is it? What does this mirror of the sluggard reveal in us? Well, well, someone said that the sluggard is a passive rebel. He refuses, he rebels against the Lord by not doing, refuses the embrace of God by putting it Derek Kidner writes that the sluggard is no freak, but as often as not an ordinary man who has made too many excuses, too many refusals and too many postponements. It has all been as imperceptible and as pleasant as falling asleep. The sluggard. How do we see the sluggard in ourselves? You see, one of the things about the sluggard in these verses is that he avoids what is needful with poor excuses. He says, there's a lion in the streets. Poor excuses. What are your excuses? And remember what Jesus said to Martha. Martha was very busy. You know, the sluggard can be very busy. Busyness can be the lion in the street. We can say, I've got so much on. I've got too much to do. I just need to get all these things in order. But Jesus said to Martha, few things are needful. Or indeed, only one. Only one. What is it? It's to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him. What are the excuses that draw you away from time with the Lord Jesus? Too many refusals. We keep putting it off. Maybe we can tell ourselves so often there's a line in the street that we believe it. Now, what if you, well, what if there was a line in the street? Now, well, what if, what if, you know, if, if Daniel in Babylon said, I cannot pray. I can't find time to pray because there are lions in the den. Well, there were lions in the den, but he prayed anyway. What if Peter said to the Sanhedrin, I can't speak of Jesus because there are beatings ahead. Well, there were beatings ahead, but he still spoke of Jesus. The sluggard avoids what is needful because he prefers comfort. But the whole irony of it the terrible terrible irony is that he is wise in his own eyes so he thinks what he thinks he knows what will bring the most comfort 
And what do we do? How, how often do we choose to put off obedience to Christ because we prefer what we think is comfort? So what is it we do? We, we snooze the alarm rather than rising to pray. We don't meet with other believers. We, we, we delay making contact with brothers and sisters. We know of a need, but we just hold back offering to help. We allow ourselves too long to indulge in a sin rather than tearing ourselves away. We rest in that comfort of giving in to temptation. And in all of that, we are being wise in our own eyes. Whenever we do this, we are defining what is best for us. We're acting like we know better than the God of the universe. You see, the sluggard avoids what is needful because he's missed how needful it is. His hand is buried in the bowl. While his stomach starves. As someone said, laziness grows on people. It begins in cobwebs and ends in iron chains. Spiritual lethargy is like that. So we put off the things the Bible tells us, the simple things the Bible tells us. And we fall out of the habit. And, and before we realize it, we've been trapped, bound in iron chains. And we find we're sacrificing the best for what is easy. It's a warning. Warning to us. How are you hearing the warning? And what would a sluggard do with this warning? The sluggard would make excuses. The, the sluggard would choose the path of comfort. The sluggard would decide for himself what is best. Now, if any of this, if any of this finds traction in your heart, don't be a sluggard. Don't push away the challenge. Don't, don't hide it, but name it. Bring it out. Confess. Speak to the Lord and tell him you failed and seek his help. Now, what then, what, what would Jesus say to our sluggardliness? What would he say? That, that the church in Laodicea had a case of the sluggards. Jesus said to the church in Laodicea, I know your deeds. He knows our deeds. He says, you're too, you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Oh, Christian, Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. Jesus wants to eat with you. He wants fellowship with you. And the sluggard says, nah, I won't open the door. It's probably a lion. The sluggard says, nah. It's more comfortable sitting on my bed. Too much effort to go and open the door. The sluggard says, it's probably not worth it. But Jesus knocks. 
He knocks. So you realise you're wretched without him. But he's here. He's here to provide for all your needs. But don't let yourself think you know better. But put away every moment, every every instance when we think we know better than Christ and refuse it. Refuse to lean on your own understanding. Trust him and open to him and enjoy sweet fellowship with him. In this passage, there are two characters. Uh, they're, they're set before us as a mirror in which we are to examine ourselves. We have first the sluggard. And then the gossip, they are a warning to us and two ways that we might hold back from pressing into the embrace of God in Christ. So we come from the sluggard to the gossip in verses 17 to 28. Now, gossip isn't the best term here. It's, a, it's, it's too common. I've got too many associations with it, perhaps. Um, and, and I'm using it here as a kind of bucket in which to throw in a whole range of behaviours. See what happens in verses 17 to 28. It begins by describing the way the gossip behaves and then it moves on to what's going on under the surface. And then it ends with how it will end for the gossip. So let's kind of track that through. Uh, What's the gossip like? Well, kind of three behaviours really stand out here. Uh, First of all, there is a, a tendency to be jumping in. Verse 17, we see that, that the gossip cannot resist sticking their oar in you see what it says they they rush into a quarrel not their own the sense here is of a of a hothead who bursts into a situation that they know nothing about and, and they speak before they listen and they're just desperate to get their own opinion heard they are maybe confident that they know what is best and they know nothing the tendency to be jumping in then, then we have a, a tendency to be joking verses 18 and 19 it's not saying that joking is wrong but the situation it describes is when somebody really tears their neighbor down with what they say and then after saying all kinds of malicious and horrible things they really twist the knife with a i didn't mean it i didn't mean it just joking can't you take a joke it's mean callous why would they do that And then the third tendency is a kind of jostling verses 20 and 21. You see here the gossip (laughs) pours fuel on the fire. They don't let it go. They stoke up resentment. They they work against peace. The the word gossip that we find in these verses is a word which kind of covers all kinds of ways that people use speech to attack others. One commentator says about the gossip, his tools of the trade are innuendos half-truths, facts distorted and exaggerated. You see, what is common in all these things, in the the, the tendency to be jumping in, to be joking, to be jostling, the tendency is using words to bring others down and push yourself up. Words to bring others down and push yourself up. And we see here the Proverbs tell us that this gossip causes harm. It's like grabbing the ears of a wild dog. You'll get bitten. It's like a maniac set loose in a crowd with a gun. The harm will be horrific and it'll be senseless. And it's like pouring fuel on a fire. You pour fuel on the fire, it's only going to burn hotter and longer. And the community will be torn apart by the conflict. 
the gossip causes harm. But, and where we really need to start looking carefully into the mirror, is that verse 22 says, it is also very attractive. See that? The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. There is an appetite for this. This gossip, these half-truths, distortion, the exaggeration, something about it pulls us in. Something within us wants it, like a tasty treat we can't resist. We just pop it in, we swallow it down, and it shapes us. Now, why, why, why do we like this, to do this and to receive it? Why is it so hard to control the tongue? What well, James says in the New Testament, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Why is it so hard to stick to the truth? Why is it so hard to hold our tongue and not speak? Well, verse 23 onwards make it a bit more ugly. The gossip is deceptive. Like it says, like a coating of silver dross on earthenware. Their speech is charming, but their hatred is concealed by their deception. There's this shiny exterior. The words of the gossip may sound caring and sensible, but there's something false about it all. This is when, when we say the right things. But, but really, the agenda we have is to bring others down and push ourselves up. It's, it's when our, our, our prayers and our, pray, our prayers and our praises to God are only aimed at winning the approval of men. And you see, verses 23 to 25 uncover the gossip by revealing the heart of the person who is careless with their words. Verse 23 puts it bluntly. Their heart is evil. Verse 25 puts it even more strongly. His heart is filled with seven abominations. Verses 24 and 26 tell how his heart is hate-filled. See, this tongue is a restless evil. This tongue is a restless evil because it is wagged by an evil heart. Now we use our speech to bring others down because our hearts are evil. We boast and we exaggerate. And we don't tell the truth and we spread a half truth and we tell tales and we insinuate or we refuse to let a matter rest. And we let that hard word come out or that kind word that's really aimed at something that's not kind. We don't let a matter rest. We do it because our hearts are evil. And so here again, we have something that holds us back from pressing into the embrace of God in Christ. Proverbs 3 verse 7 says, fear the Lord and shun evil. And yet if we cling to evil, we can't fear the Lord. If we cling to evil, we are pushing the Lord out of our life, stepping away from the warmth of his love. If our arms cling to our sin, they cannot cling to our sin. Where does this evil end? We'll see verse 26 their wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. It will not be hidden forever. The things that go on in our hearts and the real motive of our speech. It, it may be hidden from those around us, but it will not be hidden forever. Verse 27, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. 
If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. A lying tongue hates those it hurts and a flattering mouth works ruin. Justice will come. At the end of the evil heart, the end of the gossip will be ruined. So what about us? What about you? What about me? And what about the, the, the messed up agenda of our own hearts, which shapes the way that we speak? And what about the ways that we bring others down so that we might push ourselves up? Or what about the ways that we pretend that we're, we're just better than we are? We want others to think well of us. Or what about the ways that we decide on someone else's motives? And what about the ways that we use our words to humiliate others, to shame them? Or what about the ways that we, we draw attention to the failings of others, keeping on bringing back the failings of others so that others will think well of us? And we can do it so perniciously, can't we? I'd just like to share for prayer this problem that a brother has. Don't we do that? Or what about the times we just can't resist putting the oar in? When, when we speak out of place just because we want to get our voice heard. Now, with all of this, what would, what would Jesus say to our gossipiness? You know, our passage calls it what it is. It is a symptom of an evil heart. And our passage tells us plainly that in the end it will be revealed for what it is. Every careless word will be brought into the light and its wicked agenda will be revealed and it will get what it deserves. That's what Jesus said in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 12. He says everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Every empty word. And when Paul writes to the church in Rome and he catalogues the behaviors that sprout from a god-refusing humanity he says it includes every kind of wickedness strife deceit malice they are gossips slanderers god haters insolent arrogant boastful he says because of such things the wrath of god is revealed so what would jesus say to our gossipiness now wouldn't jesus say don't think it doesn't matter. Don't play down the evil in your heart. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't Jesus say, fear the Lord and shun evil? Identify it as evil and shun it. Be done with it. Recoil from it. Turn from it. And then when we say, but it's in my heart. How can I shun it when it's so stuck to me? Wouldn't he say, I know. I know all about that. This evil in your heart is storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. I know. But he would say, take heart. Romans 3, 25. He would say, God has presented me. God has presented Christ as a propitiation through the shedding of my blood. He would say, the wrath of God against you was poured upon me. The, the, the penalty for your evil heart, the, the pit that you have dug, I've thrown myself into it. The stone that you rolled, as it rolled back, it crushed me rather than you. So wouldn't he say, there is now no condemnation for those who are in me, those who are in Christ Jesus. I was condemned for you. 
wouldn't he say I was condemned for every careless word, every evil thought. It was all laid on me. So wouldn't he say, wouldn't he say, my dear one, my dear one, shun evil. Clothe yourself with me. And don't even think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh, but trust yourself to me. Put your ways into my hands. Draw from me, would say. Wouldn't Jesus say, draw from me your strength and your, your, your life and your heart and your words. Get it from me. As Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And so ask yourself, what holds you back from pressing into the embrace of God in Christ? Hear the warning of our passage. Now don't let it be sluggardliness. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't let it be gossipiness. Shun evil. And Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And they with me. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we consider the passage we just looked at, oh, by your spirit, may we hear the voice of your son, the Lord Jesus. May we hear his voice. May we hear the knock and open the door. Oh Lord, may we enjoy sweet fellowship with him. Now please, may we not be wise in our own eyes. May we fear the Lord and shun evil and enjoy the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining this evening. And next week we're going to continue in Proverbs and look at the next passage. And may the Lord bless you.